everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and we're about to jump into one of the last four track sessions from last year's forum. It features Curtis Sargent from Zume Training. Zume Training is an online and in-life learning experience designed for small groups who follow Jesus to learn how to obey His Great Commission and make disciples who multiply. They've got courses, guidebooks, and online groups, so make sure to check out zoome.training after you finish this episode. All right, everybody, let's jump into the episode and hear from Curtis Sargent. Enjoy. All right, so um, the... What we're going to talk about for this hour is persecution and suffering and how that can be a key part of disciple making. Um, For those of you who were here for the first breakout session yesterday, um, I mentioned one aspect of making disciples is I was kind of giving an overview was the idea that we want people to, to in a sense, be self-feeding in four general areas. One is interpreting and applying scripture. We're all pretty familiar with that idea. One is prayer, and we're all pretty familiar with that idea. And one is body life, and we're all pretty familiar with that idea. And the fourth was how to suffer well, right? So related to persecution and suffering. And I think... If my perception is correct, here in North America, we haven't put a lot of emphasis or focus on that. And I think that's a mistake. And so um, during this hour, I'll talk about some of why I I think that and give some ideas on how we can start doing a better job of preparing people to suffer well. Um, Of course, there are different kinds of suffering. Um, Everything I say today will apply to two types of suffering. One would be, you know, like direct persecution or just, in a sense, suffering for doing what's right. A lot of what I say will apply to just kind of general suffering, you know, just going through hard times, whether it's a result of spiritual warfare, you know, type things or not. Um, And another type of suffering is suffering that we sort of bring on ourselves by being stupid. A few of the things I say will apply to that, but that's mainly not the type of suffering I'm referring to today. So in case you're wondering about that, that's not mainly the type of suffering we're talking about is, you know, just what what we bring on ourselves by being stupid. Um, The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom, you know? It just is. In the kingdom of God, you're great by being a servant, right? You're strong when you're weak. You're rich when you give everything away. You're wise when you become a fool, right? You're joyful when you weep. You're first 
I mean, the first are last and the last are first. You win when you lose. You live when you die, right? The, the king of our kingdom, his coronation was being born in a very poor family in a stable in a strange town, you know, growing up totally out of the spotlight. That's our king. And he won his greatest victory when he was killed by his enemies on a cross. So, you know, in a sense, nothing makes sense in the kingdom. And when we start talking about persecution and suffering and how much God uses that to grow us, it just falls right in that category. You know, it it just, if it doesn't seem totally backwards, it at least seems suboptimal, right? (laughs) It's like, wow, couldn't we figure out a different way to do this? But we do live in an upside down kingdom. Yesterday in the first main session, when Dave was talking, he talked about Mark chapter 8, specifically focusing on Peter's, you know, declaration of Jesus as the Christ in Caesarea Philippi. And then, you know, his rebuking Jesus when Jesus started talking about his impending death, suffering and death. And that passage is a key turning point in the Gospels, in pretty much all of the Gospels. So up to that point, it's like Jesus has been focusing on them recognizing what Peter had come to recognize, that he was the Christ, right? But once, you know, he sees, okay, that job's done, he suddenly very sharply turns and starts putting great emphasis on his suffering and death. And in many of the passages right there, the the need for us to suffer with him, as in the passage in Mark 8 that Dave talked about, right? taking up your cross, following him. So, like, this is true in all the Gospels, but it's most clear in Mark where he was. Those next three chapters, Mark 8, 9, and 10, I think there's like maybe 10 sections where Jesus is either talking about his own suffering and death or the need of the disciples to suffer. So it's like he's presenting two crosses, you know, and Peter understood Jesus as Christ, but he didn't understand him as the son of man who must suffer and die. And I I personally think part of his instruction to Peter and the other disciples not to spread the news that he was the Christ was because they would have spread a very distorted view of who he was because they didn't get the other half of that, you know? 
And it, so it would have just spread a distortion. And today, I think we clearly understand the need for Jesus to suffer and die. But sometimes I think we conveniently forget or fail to recognize the need for our cross, right? Take up your cross and follow him. Suffering is part of what it means to be a disciple. And it's, it's a key part. There's a couple of passages in Hebrews. Every time I read them, I mean, I can read them a hundred times. And it's still, I shake my head when I read them. One is the passage that says, Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. What? Uh, it's not that he was ever disobedient, but in some way, he couldn't fully learn and, and demonstrate his obedience apart from suffering. And guess what? If that's true for him, huh, it's absolutely true for every one of us. The other one is the passage that says he was made perfect by what he suffered. And again, I read that and I just shake my head every single time. And again, it's not that he was imperfect in any way, but in some way he couldn't fully, um, you know, live out and achieve the Father's purpose for his life apart from suffering. And if it's true for him, it's definitely true for us. So um, when, when we think about suffering, I think a lot of times the passages on that, we tend to just pass right over. It's like we don't even see them. And I don't know if it's just because we don't like them, which is understandable, or we don't think they apply to us or whatever, but they are in there. And God has a purpose for suffering in our lives. In fact, he has a lot of purposes for suffering in our lives. Um, the enemy also has purposes. It's particularly when we talk about persecution, but also many other types of suffering, I believe the enemy's desire or purpose in those things is to silence us. And many times it doesn't take actual persecution or suffering, but just the possibility of it is enough to silence us. And if we are silenced by those things, we are collaborating with the enemy. We don't want to do that, right? God has lots of purposes. In fact, in a minute, I'm just going to read them, I mean, a bunch of them, just to uh, impress on us how much Scripture talks about this. But, I mean, some of the highlights to me like in Corinthians, where he equips us to minister to others who are suffering because of what we've suffered. The, the whole idea of us being identified with Christ and our sufferings. The, all of the advantages for the growth and purification of our faith. The 
lists of character traits that are developed through persecution and or suffering. On and on and on. There's so many things God wants to achieve. And a lot of those passages that talk about that, though, those are conditional blessings. If we respond appropriately, we glean those blessings, those benefits. If we don't, you know, we won't. So um, I don't want to suffer. If I have to suffer, I don't want to suffer without getting benefits from it, you know? So I would love for somebody to help me understand how to respond appropriately so I can glean those benefits. Um, so let me just read you. And this comes from a, I did a blog series of very short entries, just kind of highlighting a bunch of passages that talk about this. And um, I would like to read to you from some of those a summary of benefits. Now, in the, in the blog series that I did, I would highlight parts of these verses. In yellow, I think, I may switch the colors, but I think it was in yellow, I, I highlighted benefits. And in green, I highlighted God's intended response on our part from a bunch of passages. So I just want to read to you a summary of those where I just lifted these straight from, you know, these um, passages. So, list of benefits. Position us to bless others. Test and refine and prove us and our faith. Give us hope. Show us God's love is unstoppable and He is good and is all we need. Show us God is listening and is near. Bless us. Comfort us. Equip us to comfort others. Prepare us to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Increase our reward in heaven. Discover our true and real life in the Lord. Help us know Jesus more intimately. Help us become more like Christ and identify with him more fully. Help us gain more of Jesus' character. Demonstrate the permanency and power of God's love for us. Save our lives. Cause us to bear more fruit. Teach us peace. Teach us to hope in our future eternal comfort and blessing. Demonstrate God's trust in us and honor of us. Give us joy. Announce God's message, message broadly. Encourage others in their faith. Show our love to brothers and sisters in the faith. Shows our worthiness for the kingdom. Makes room for God's justice. Shows God's power in us. Demonstrates God's life in us. Foreshadows our future glorification. Causes others to be drawn to the Lord. Results in thanksgiving from others for our sacrificial ministry. Renews us day by day through the Lord earns eternal reward, proves our genuineness, validates our ministry, validates our words, makes our lives known, the, the nature of our life, 
enriches the lives of others, shows where our true riches are, where our hearts are, keeps us humble, hang in there, we're half done, gives us perseverance, godly character, and hope, honors us, shows us we are God's children and heirs of His glory, demonstrates our conquering lives in the Lord, advances the gospel, gives confidence to fellow believers, demonstrates our faith in the Lord, which is our righteousness, shows us the power of Jesus' resurrection and helps us share in it, provides access to Jesus' life and helps us reign with Him in eternity, gives us strength to stand, crowns us with glory and honor, perfects us, teaches us obedience, causes the Lord to be attentive to our prayers, enables us to experience better and lasting possessions, is a pathway to receive God's promises, is the way of salvation, shows the world is not worthy but the Lord is, and provides an opportunity for amazing victories that will glorify the Lord, is a way the Lord teaches us discipline, grows us in holiness, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives, produces endurance and perfects us and makes us complete in the Lord, enables God to demonstrate His compassion and mercy, proves the genuineness of our faith, results in praise, glory, and honor to the Lord, helps us find favor with God, fulfills our calling, shames the enemies of the kingdom, helps free us from sin's allure, causes us, us to live more fully for God's will and desires, increases our future joy, increases the glory of God in our lives and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, will result in our restoration, strengthening, firmness, and steadfastness, results in our receiving the victor's crown, and achieves God's good purposes in our lives. And that's not a comprehensive list. That's just ones where I cherry-picked some of the most prominent passages on this in the New Testament, and I picked one Old Testament passage. We probably should have done a printout on that one. Uh, yeah, you can, I'll tell you where you can download like a compilation of the whole blog series. Um, but that's what God wants to do through suffering in our lives. Sounds good, <laughs> you know, right? Sign me up. I want some of that. I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, but in the, this, this is almost twice as long of a list of expected responses. So I'm not going to read through that whole thing, but I'm going to read maybe the first quarter of it to give you a taste of it. Here's what God desires our response to be when we suffer. Think about God's perspective on it. Wait for the Lord and rely on Him for relief. Hope in the Lord and seek Him. Quietly submit to the Lord. Humbly respond to the Lord and to human agents. Do not grumble or complain. Examine our lives. Worship the Lord. Call out to the Lord. Do not fear. Mourn. Commit our lives to a life of difficult service. Do not be distracted from kingdom purposes. 
Seek to please the Lord in the midst of it. Act righteously, even when it will result in persecution. Rejoice greatly. Be glad. Do not resist evil people acting against you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love God more than anyone, including family members. Count the Lord as more important than anything in life. Be willing to sacrifice everything for Christ. Deny your own will and desires and serve Christ's purposes daily. Do not be selfish or conceited. Humbly consider others as more important than yourself and serve their interests. Do not use your position to your advantage, but rather to serve others. Humble yourself by being willing to suffer for others' benefit. Be encouraged. Continue proclaiming the good news of Christ Jesus publicly and privately. Continue teaching others about the kingdom life publicly and privately. Promote the kingdom wherever you go. Welcome instruction about the kingdom, even when it leads to suffering. Model service despite suffering for other believers. That's about the first 25% of, if I would read through the rest of the list, of specific desires God has on our, from us as a response, proper response to the sufferings that we're going through. And a lot of those benefits we talked about, again, are contingent upon our proper response. Therefore, <laughs> I think it is a significant part of making disciples to prepare them to suffer well. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. A lot of kinds of suffering are unavoidable. So again, we're not talking about suffering from us doing stupid stuff, but a lot of the other stuff, the other suffering is unavoidable. So let's make the most of it. Let's, as we're making disciples, help them make the most of it so that every difficulty is a profit, right? That upside down kingdom. Every challenge is an advance. Every difficulty is a lesson learned. Every hardship 
is increasing our likeness of Christ. That's important for being a disciple and for making disciples. So we need to focus some more on that. So, um, the preparation, how we prepare people to do that practically, like if we get down to nitty gritty details, I think it varies widely by the type of environment that we're talking about, because there are different flavors of persecution that are dominant or different flavors of difficulties that people are going to face based on environment. I grew up in East Asia, served, you know, much of my life as an adult in East Asia. So that's the, you know, the place that I'm the most familiar with. So I'll give some specific examples from there that we can then extrapolate for other situations like North America, what might parallels be. Um, but first, I want to mention what I, th- what I have felt for the past several years is the dominant flavor of persecution. But we may be here, the dominant flavor of persecution here in North America. But we may be in sort of a transition, you know, of what that looks like. So I'm not confident going forward that this will be the dominant flavor. But the, you know, for like the several years leading up to the pandemic, I was spending part of my time focused on the U.S. And my, my feel of it is that the dominant flavor of persecution in North America is related to social ostracism, right? So because we don't want to alienate people or have people think badly of us or whatever, you know, people are silent about their faith or whatever. And that that's, that's the kind of the dominant flavor. Now, that's not to say there aren't other kinds of persecution. There's tons of people who have faced significant economic repercussions, people who have lost their job, their businesses suffer greatly, whatever, because of their Christian faith. There's people who are imprisoned literally because of their faith here. But it's not like that. that's the dominant you know, situation for most people. So there, there are all kinds of persecution that takes take place here, although not we don't have a lot of martyrdoms here, right, compared to a number of other contexts. But there's plenty of opportunities to suffer for your faith if you live a kingdom life here. It, it is, the, the possibility is definitely there. So let me give some examples from a Chinese context. So... Um, back when I was working there, there were five major kind of national house church networks working across the country. And I'll give, each of them had their own, you know, specific practices and philosophy of training and equipping believers. So I'm going to pick examples from three of those. Um, one is in regard to new believers, how they would prepare them. So, in one of the networks, they would um, have people practice jumping from second-story windows and teach them how to land safely. Why in the world would that be part of new believer training? 
Well, the idea is if, you know, government officials or whoever ever, you know, raids a meeting place and maybe they're meeting in an upstairs room, perhaps you could escape by jumping out the windows and getting away. Okay. Um, I know a couple of people who have actually succeeded in doing that, but that's not the point of the training. The point of the training is the mental and spiritual preparation that I'm ready to suffer for the gospel. This is a very possible scenario. I'll do it, you know, do what I can to deal with it. But it's, it's just like preparing them. This could be part of what it means to follow Christ. That's it. The other one that I'll mention for new believers training is very similar. So in that one, they'll teach people if they're arrested, how they stand relative to the arresting officer, how they hold their hands while they put on the handcuffs, how you interact with the officer, all that will result in the handcuffs being put on as loosely as possible so that then you practice slipping the handcuffs and you may be able to escape. Okay, again, I, ha I happen to know somebody who actually did escape doing that, but it's not like that's going to be an effective strategy 99.9% .9 of the time. But that's not the point. The point is the mental preparation. So obviously those aren't particularly helpful for North American context. But what might we do? We could run... Um, what do you call them, role plays of things that are very possible. You know, what's it look like in a classroom if you have an opportunity and a sort of a compelling opportunity to speak out for your faith in a classroom and what, the, what might that look like? Or in a business setting, some decision that could easily come up that would you know, could result in loss of income, loss of customers. You know, what if you're in a position where you're being called on because of your job to do something that would compromise your faith? How will you respond? You know, are you willing to sacrifice your job? Whatever, running role plays of things that actually could happen. Talking about that, making that known to new believers can be very helpful. Um, another um, example, there's one of the networks there that anytime they have a training, they intentionally have all the participants be dehydrated. So maybe you'll go for a 10-day training, say, and your daily quota of water is one half of one of these bottles. That's not good for you and it's not healthy, it's not enough water, why would they do that? It's because one of the standard interrogation techniques is they'll be questioning somebody, interrogating somebody, and they'll do it for hours and hours and hours, and then the person needs to go to the restroom. They don't allow them to go, and then after they soil themselves, then it starts to break them down mentally so that they're more susceptible to giving up information. So by staying in a dehydrated state, everybody's hardened to interrogation that could potentially compromise other believers. 
So it's essentially, I'm willing to, you know, damage my body, you know, make sacrifices in order to keep you safe and the, the other parts of the body of Christ. I hated doing training events for that, but, um, you know, it's significant. The Chinese like slogans or sayings, one that we could easily adapt is they um, have um, a commitment, basically, that people make at their baptism. So it goes like this. I'm ready at any time in any place to suffer for the Lord. I'm ready at any time in any place to be imprisoned for the Lord. I'm ready at any time in any place to escape for the Lord. So I had a, a question the first time I heard that is like, unpack that for me a little bit. The idea is there that often it's a risky thing to try to escape if you're, you know, imprisoned. But often you can have more effect for the kingdom if you do escape. So it's like a willingness to risk, you know, worse punishment in order that you can advance the kingdom. And then lastly, I'm ready at any time in any place to die for the Lord. And then they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it becomes abundantly clear to them from the moment they're entering the kingdom, the price that they probably will be having to pay to follow the Lord, and that they're absolutely committing to that. They're doing that knowingly. Now, it might not be quite so dramatic, but we could absolutely have an equivalent you know, statement that people make at their baptisms that would make it abundantly clear that there will be a price to pay if you're serious about following the Lord. We could easily do that. They have another um, slogan that's pretty common, and it goes like this. If you imprison me, you're freeing me to spread the gospel openly, right? Because you're already in prison. If you put me in solitary confinement, you're allowing me to focus on meditating on scripture and praying. If you beat me, you are allowing me to glorify the Lord. If you seize my home or my farm, you're freeing me to travel broadly to spread the gospel. And if you kill me, you're sending me to glory. Beat that. It makes it abundantly clear that we win no matter what. The worse you treat us, the more we win. You're just accelerating God's glory and God's kingdom. No reason we can't come up with some similar statements that make it clear our light shines brightest in the darkest circumstances because that's where it becomes evident that we are different, that we are in an upside-down kingdom, you know?
we need to prepare people like that. Um, a lot of things, times, um, if I'm doing live training events, um, I always, on the last day, let people know you are getting ready to face significantly increased suffering. I'll run, say, run a training with 20 people. It is extremely common for within a couple of weeks after that training ends, people get diagnosed with cancer, people's children die. They're, I mean, all kinds of different horrible things way too frequently for it to be random. You know, it is not random. If we are serious about living as ambassadors for the kingdom, we will have targets on our back. We absolutely will. But God is able to turn all of that for good but it, there's a heavy price to be paid and we need to be ready to pay it and we need to respond well when those things happen. Um, there's also an amazing pattern of things significant happening just before these training events so that people who had been planning to attend can't. And so a lot of times I, I just kind of have a number in my head. Like if we have 20 people that have committed, paid a deposit for their training and all of that, I figure maybe 15 of them will show up because the other five will have had these, these same type things happen suddenly, unexpectedly, right before the training. But it says something about people. Just not that long ago, um, I did a training and there was a guy who, he's in the, the type of person that I don't necessarily have high hopes for because he was, you know, older, older people. We have, we have trouble changing, right? Came from, he was a um, professional minister. He's an associate pastor at a church. It's harder for those of us who are in full-time ministry to make significant changes like we're talking about. It, it was a very traditional church that makes it harder. You know, there's all of these factors that made it really hard. He got a very severe case of Bell's palsy less than 24 hours before the training still drove halfway across the country to attend that training, feeling terrible, looking horrible, unable to talk, but he showed up since that training. That guy is killing it. He, he has impacted his church so that they're doing amazing things. He has a separate ministry totally outside the church that's even going 10 times as well as that because it doesn't have the constraints of the, you know, the established work. He's started work among groups he never touched before, like, you know, transvestites and the whole LGBTQ community. God's just bringing people from those communities. He had never done anything with any of those people that he's just bringing them to him. He's leading them to faith, helping them, you know, 
change their lives, make other disciples. He's leading amazing prayer efforts. And I would have been shocked at that, given his background and, you know, just previous experience on my part of who tends to do better and who doesn't. But once I saw him come despite those attacks, I'm not surprised at all. He's somebody who already knew how to respond well to persecution and suffering. His attitude was exemplary. Nothing can stop him because anything the enemy does, he turns it with God's help to good and goes forward. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So um, in your opinion, do you think, you know, as American Christians, we should really be getting involved in the political climate where it's more and more anti-Christian, anti-faith, or rather just sort of accept it for what it is, it's part of God's plan, and just like you say, embrace the suffering, because it seems like, you know, you want to sort of advance a righteous thought process and mentality in the public school environment, yep. these children and being indoctrinated yep. with anti-biblical principles however you know again god is sovereign this is part of his plan should we just embrace it or yep. fight for change um i'm not gonna go into that except i'll make one quick comment in my mind there's two different things one is when we are suffering because of that i think we just accept it but if it's speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves, you know, or protecting others, there are definitely times when we do need to speak up and take a stand. And often that will bring further attacks on us. That's what we deal with. Don't worry about that. Don't be distracted. That would be my brief statement. Um, so, and when it comes to persecution, I want to make um, a comment about the hardest kind to face. And this is true anywhere. First is suffering, not that happens to us, but suffering that happens to those we love because, in many cases, of stands that we've taken. Whether that's our spouse, our children, 
new disciples that are being made through our ministry. The other is, quote-unquote, friendly fire. And um, I anticipate that there will be significant increases in persecution in the U.S., and I think a high proportion of that is going to be friendly fire. Yep. And um, buckle your seatbelt, because that is the most painful kind. That's true. It's one thing when people who are obviously anti-Christ, anti-kingdom, persecute us. But when those who claim to be followers of Christ levy significant persecution, that hurts at a whole new level. A whole new level. And so, be prepared for that. Don't be disillusioned by it. Be prepared for it. And it's going to hurt worse than attacks that are obviously from the enemy. Unfortunately, because of kind of the nature of where God called me to focus my effort for my first, you know, 50-some years or whatever, I've had the experience of discipling a lot of people who have paid a very high price. (laughs) Many, many who have been martyred for the faith. Many. And you, you would expect that because, you know, I've worked in Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia, East Asia, and so on, places where a lot of martyrdoms happen. But it's not just people from those countries. It's also, you know, Westerners. In one six-month period, 11 different people in different countries that I had trained who were Americans were martyred directly for their faith within a six-month period. Violently, very violently. I know so many that I have mentored and trained who have been taken as long-term hostages. One single lady, it's now over 20 years she's been held in Afghanistan. people who have had their children taken from them, people who have been forced to live on the run for decades, people who have been imprisoned for long periods, people who have been unspeakably tortured, things that you can't even imagine, tortures. Through that, we have to learn to trust God as a faithful creator in doing what's right. It's in 1 Peter. And by the way, just read 1 Peter. The primary theme of the book is this. That's the primary theme of 1 Peter. Fortunately, 
you know, I, because God knew I was going to face th- those things, he did something for me that helped me immeasurably. So when we were working on the island of Hainan in China, there was a lot of persecution in that, on that island. And um, one thing I did was at the, toward the beginning, I went out of the island, recruited some Chinese um, you know, people from elsewhere, trained them in this stuff and asked them to go in and try to get work started in a particular place because they would have a little bit lower profile than you know I would. And so um, sent them in to do that. And this team was from Singapore. And I don't know how much you know about Singaporeans. Really smart people, amazing country. But to be honest, they have no street smarts, right? The government takes care of everything for them. And so they're, you know, rule followers. And, and it's like they, they just have no survival skills, you know, they've never faced anything like that. And so um, I was, you know, staying away from the place where I had asked them to go work for their safety. And <clears throat> I got to this place and the guy I was supposed to meet, who's my kind of key disciple that I was making in the, that other town, had moved and back then there were no there was no postal service there there were no telephones most places had no electricity and so i just had to try to track him down so i'd just walk around town asking people do you know this guy do you know this guy anyway finally tracked him down he had moved to another place and i walked in and immediately my eyes were drawn to the desk in his room it was just you know one room apartment it was the first public or the first you know privately held telephone i had ever seen on the island and i traveled a lot i I was working as an ngo representative so i traveled all over the island all kinds of government offices i had seen two other phones both in very high level government offices prior to that so this is the first the third telephone i'd ever seen on this island and i said whoa that's amazing. What's your number? You know, if, if I go somewhere, I can just call you and touch base. That would be amazing. And he said, I don't know, but it's hooked up because there's a dial tone when you pick up the phone. And I said, wow, as soon as you find out, let me know. And then I started sharing with him about how worried I was about this Singaporean team that I had sent in. I said, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I'm sure they're going to all get arrested, get thrown in prison because they're ethnic Chinese. They treat them as citizens. You know, they'll throw away the key. And I'm so worried about them. And I just said that. And this telephone rang and surprised both of us. And he goes over and he answers it. And then he says, it's for you. I said, okay, it's pretty obvious what's happening. The government... Somebody's calling to say, hey, you know, we got our eye on you. Watch yourself, you know, kind of a thing. But I answered it, and it wasn't. It was the team leader from that team. They had taken in a sat phone with them. 
if I had been thinking clearly, I would have said, what number did you just dial? But I didn't. I was just so shocked. I said, how did you get this number? And the team leader was this lady, and she said, I don't know. God just told me to dial this number, and you would be there. And I said, okay, what did you want to tell me? And I, she said, I just wanted to tell you, we've done everything just like you trained us. It's worked great. We already have a church started. We're discipling them just how you taught us. No sign of any authorities. That's it. Bye. And she hangs up. Okay. Message received. <laughs> um, <laughs> God was... You know, I just said, oh, I'm so worried about these people. God's clearly telling me, don't be an idiot. There is nothing that you can do to protect them. Guess what? They're not your team. They're my team. I called them. You didn't call them. I love them way more than you do. If I want them to be thrown into prison they'll be thrown into prison. If I want to blind the eyes of the authorities in that place, I will. Don't be an idiot, (laughs) right? That impacted me really deeply. And God, I had no idea all of those things that would happen over the subsequent 30 some years where I would need that assurance. It would have killed me to see the suffering that all of these people did if I thought it was because of me, right? It was because I trained them. It was because I asked them to go there. No, not at all. They were God's people. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He specializes in bringing victory out of defeat, resurrection out of crucifixion, glory out of disaster. That's who he is. That's what he does. And we need, as I said before, to trust him as a faithful creator in doing what's right. And every disciple that we make needs to understand that. And the disciples they make need to understand that. Because the closer we get to the end, the more relevant that is. The more significant that will be in the final victory that God brings. So... We need to prepare people. Um, And the thing is, this isn't something that happens once. This is how God works. In small ways or big ways, we will have these opportunities practically every day of our lives. Will we capitalize on them? Will we bring about all of those blessings because of our appropriate response? 
or will we achieve the enemy's purpose in being silenced? It matters. We've got to equip and prepare disciples for this. Um, I have another thing that we could do, but it's too long for the amount of time we have left. So let's do just question and answer for the last five minutes here. Uh, there's a guy in the back that's been trying to trying to break in for a little while. So yes. Yeah, I appreciate everything um, you shared. Um, I guess my question is, you know, in light of our conduct in America. What might be a friend of power? What what might be some examples that you witnessed that might be relevant and highly possible? Just um. Yeah. Thanks. He's doing your job, Doug. He's doing your job. Thanks, Mark. Um, so the question was, what are some examples of friendly fire that we might be particularly watching for? in the U.S. context. Um, I don't know if I can answer that. I can say um, I've, I've, I think, had some pretty significant, you know, examples of personal suffering. And I would say maybe not the worst in degree, but the worst in pain, the three worst were all friendly fire situations, the three most painful. And that's from some fairly significant things I've faced. Um, I don't feel um, free to share specifics about those three. And at the rate things are changing here, I'm not enough of a prophet, I think, to answer that well. But I am enough of a prophet to say that's going to happen. I j I'm just not sure what it'll look like. So in other words, I don't know. That's, that's my answer to your question up here. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, suffering, you know, um, from when our loved ones suffer for, you know, painful actions that we have, that's a really hard yeah. Yeah. Um, persecution to undergo. Uh, is there anything specific that you have for how to handle those, uh, the mindset to have scripturally, or is it just in the list? Yeah, it, it's it's in the list, and um, that's for me. That's when it's hardest to trust the Lord. Is those situations, and in fact, the story that I was going to tell that I don't have time for was the biggest example of that in my life. Um, yeah, just trust Him and try to stay faithful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people in uh, my generation are feeling what you're talking about, the sort of uh, bifurcation of the culture and, and things, and, and seeing some pretty dark things on the horizon. Um, is there a... Do you foresee a potential mass great awakening as has happened in the past, or do you think it's going to be uh, a remnant? Uh, or could you speak to that? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, if I were forced to guess, 
um, I would tend more toward the likelihood of it uh, being glass half empty on that. But I'm hopeful. So with God, all things are possible. You know, I think whatever happens is going to be big. You know, either the tremendous advance and increase in our country or significant um, falling away being evident through it. I I think it's going to be big, whatever, whichever way it goes. Yeah. So if you can't speak to this, I understand, but um, you'd mentioned that you'd started taking some of this thought process to North America. So when you're talking through this, I'm thinking, what are the questions? And in my, my mind is, are you willing to be uncomfortable? Right? So, so, so small comparatively, what are some of those questions or what, like, yeah, actually, um, I actually have some samples that have been written by people who've gone through my training. I don't have them with me and I don't have them memorized, but, um, I would challenge you make that a practice, spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord, what should I put in this for my context, the people I'm addressing and try to write your own, um, I do want to mention, since we're right out of time, I want to mention a couple of books um, written by a friend of mine. Um, I'm trying to think of his pen name because he worked in Somalia. Um, I'm just remembering his first Nick, Nick Ripkin is his pen name. So the the um, insanity of God and the insanity of obedience are really good. Um, this is a book I wrote, The Only One. So if you go to theonlyonebook.com, it'll give you a code to download a free copy of the ebook. And one of the chapters is on that. The link for that, the blog. Yeah. Um, email me right there. Um, or try this first. Go to William Carey Publishing, which is, I think, missionbooks.com or something like that. But William Carey Publishing, because they're the publisher of my book. I think on my author page on their site, I think they have it as a free download, the blog on persecution and suffering. Try that first. Uh, it's on the site, but I think the code is... Um, one four free like that um we are out of time thanks for coming and um yeah awesome stuff from zume training up next we've got another episode from curtis with zume So click subscribe to this channel to be informed for when it releases. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And I sincerely hope you have a great day. See ya.